We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, how are we doing this morning? IB countdown to kickoff. We are up and running. It's Vince dancing at the other end. I'm Sean. Just kind of popping at this end. <laughs> I'm a heck of a chair dancer. It's the other stuff that I have a problem with. Yeah, well, yeah. You and me and dancing yeah. uh, do not go hand in hand, right? <laughs> That's correct. Something we have in common. <laughs> <laughs> One of the multitudes of things. That's right. Well, uh, welcome once again, coast to coast, wherever you happen to be today. I see Brent has got his Trader Joe's cup of coffee out there in Monterey, California. Once again. Wow, California. That's 7 a.m. Yeah, it is early Ooh. out there, man. It is early. But uh, and I guess depending on where you are, the view is probably pretty good. If you're up on top of that hill there on, on Monterey, which I guess most of the town is up on a hill <laughs> you've got a pretty good view of something. fair enough so well we've got notre dame and unlv today first ever meeting between these two teams the irish are 31 and 6 all time against mountain west conference teams 30 of those games against air force and uh that's the only mountain west team that's ever beaten notre dame coincidentally but you know like the more times you play the, the greater yeah. your odds right but, a lot of opportunities but still yeah they're 7-0 against the other Mountain West Conference teams they've played. And now this game came about, I don't want to, I can't remember all the, you know, the the comings and goings, you know, BYU moving its game and Cal, you know, getting on the schedule and UNLV was basically kind of, you know, thrown a bone, you know, for helping accommodate some of this stuff. And this is all stuff that happened a long time ago. So right, of course. that's for anyone wondering how, and why Notre Dame is playing UNLV. It, it had to do with, you know, maneuvering stuff around and, and trying to set up other stuff and accommodations and not reparations, but accommodations anyway. So uh, here we are, Notre Dame and UNLV. Yes. And I mean, it, it is your note, and I want to steal your nugget, but it is still a nugget nonetheless. I find it very odd and very funny that Notre Dame played on UNLV's home field, not against UNLV, <laughs> right? A couple of weeks ago in Vegas, and now UNLV has to take the trip across the country and play at Notre Dame. That, that's like, yeah, doesn't make a whole lot of sense, obviously, but just one of those quirks, I guess. And I didn't realize 
that you and I mean, obviously Allegiant stadium is not that old. I didn't realize they were playing their home games in there until, you know, this year, just, you know, going through the notes and all that kind of stuff. It's like, really? And they play on a different turf than the Raiders do, which I think is very interesting. Roll out a different turf. It's just, it's just, I mean, obviously this is 2022. There's a, a, an amazing amount of technology when it comes to these new stadiums and everything, but the fact that UNLV plays on an artificial surface and and the Raiders play on a grass surface and they just slide one in, slide one out. I mean, yeah. it's just it's mind boggling, to be honest with you. And one of the things that I actually wanted to see about one of these brand new stadiums and going out there. But, you know, say la vie. It is what it is. <laughs> right. You know, but I still find that fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating to me. Well, you know, Jesse with his engineering, you know, he's got an engineering, a master's in engineering and the company that, you know, like there's obviously there's a lot of subcontractors in a stadium like that. Well, he was talking to um, one of the companies that, that works on these stadiums. And he, he almost was, you know, this, you know, again, like he was originally going to work for that company and then COVID. And so mm. they, you know, everything shut down. So they didn't have a spot for him. And then once things ramped back up again, they were still talking to him about going out there, you know, to be a part of it. But he would have had to move, move oh. to Las Vegas for like over a year to get wow. it finished. And he, uh, that was the no go. Yeah. Was the... Because he was kind of in, you know, the, the relationship that he's in and that kind sure. of stuff. And, uh, you know, yeah. It's always a girl. And, it's always a girl, Sean. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> always a girl. Because I'm sure a kid in his mid twenties would hate living in Vegas for a year. Oh I mean, man! I mean, awful. that <clears throat> you talk about not good. <laughs> <laughs> not good. <laughs> We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We got Jay Domer in Florida. Anthony's in Nashville. Brent out there in Monterey. We're, we're, we're listening all over the place. Love it. So, Love it. Wherever you happen to be. Glad That's to right. have you with us. Welcome in. Well, I guess we got to start with the ugly, right? That's a that's one word for it, I suppose. <laughs> I, I've uh, gotten my thesaurus out a few times on how to describe last weekend. That was uh, it was hard to watch, frankly. Yeah. It was hard to watch. It really was. You know, the sixteen to fourteen, they only scored. That's what still gets me is the fact that they only scored fourteen points. And I mean, it's obviously yeah. why everyone is so worked up about the offense because Stanford's defense is just horrible and yes. 14 points against that defense is yeah. just nuts and you know they were given up over 200 rushing yards a game Notre Dame ends up with 34 carries 150 yards 4.4 per carry and I found it you know kind of going and looking Logan Diggs had nine carries for 57 yards so he averaged 6.3 a carry Audric estimate eight carries for 57 yards 7.1 per carry Chris Tyree, eight carries for 25, just 3.5. But, you know, like as we've talked about, running him between the tackles, say, you know, that'll affect that. What do you think is going to happen when you run yeah. a guy like that between the tackles? Yeah. And most of this damage came in the second half. And like Diggs' long run was 26 yards. Estime's long run was 22. Tyree's long run was 16. You take away those three long runs, and it's 31 carries for 86 yards, 2.7 per carry. And I think that tells the more true story of yeah. the way Notre Dame's offense was operating last week. What was the definition of banging your head against the wall? I yeah. mean, I don't, I don't know any other way to describe continuously running it between the tackles. And not only that, but doing it with your smallest back. Like it just so many aspects of the run game plan just made no sense to me. It just made no sense. I mean, why why are you running into the teeth of a defense that's, number one, not very good, but if they're good at something, you know, good, I use air quotes, they're good at preventing you from running up the middle. They're just, they're big dudes, they're slow moving, and they can clog up the middle. And that's where you decide to run the ball, and it just does not make a whole lot of sense. And they were getting, I mean, the offensive line was getting movement as much as they could possibly get movement in a nine or 10 man box. I mean, they, they did the best that they could against what Notre Dame was running into. I just don't understand why they weren't hitting the outside runs more often. Yeah. It just didn't make any sense to me. Especially with hit. Chris Tyree. And like, you look at the right. fact that Audric Estime had two carries in the first half, you know, right. His, his touchdown run in the second half was his third carry of the game. Amazing. <sighs> <laughs> I know. And then he got how many? I mean, he didn't get a whole lot of carries after that, to be honest, right? I mean, no. it was, I mean, obviously he fumbled, and I don't uh, think he saw the field after the. But they, you know, I, they didn't have that much game left after the fumble, but still, it shouldn't have come down to that. Number no. one, no. Uh, that should have been the. You know, I think, I think maybe you said it when we were at the game. That should have been the difference between scoring forty nine points and scoring forty two points. Like that's where they should have been at that point yeah. in the ball game, not going down for a game winning drive against Stanford, like. What? I, I just, <laughs> even though I sat there and I witnessed 
every single play of that game. I rewatched that game. It's still hard for me to believe that it actually took place. I, I know. It just, I, I, I don't. Know. Everything. But I mean, so is Marshall. Me. You know, like if you think yes, about it. <laughs> I know. It's a good point. I mean, two of their three losses are just mind boggling. And their wins are against teams that are better than the two teams that they lost to. Exactly. And exactly. Ohio State, obviously, being, you know, the, the margin is so much wider. And they actually played well against Ohio State. So it's just right. like, I don't know. I, I have so many questions about this season, and we've played six games. I mean, we are halfway through. You'd think we'd have questions answered, John, and we really just don't. (laughs) You're right. Um, One request, though, while I'm thinking about it, because I didn't mention it earlier, hit that like button, if you would. Kind of pump up Irish Breakdown a little bit. Always helps promote the channel and, and, uh, you know, get more great fans like you in here. It's like somebody, you know, pushes that video up and people remember, oh, yeah. I'd be countdown is going on. And then of course, rate review, all that good stuff as well on your podcast channels. You know, Vince, you and I, and Brian obviously is in this boat as well. None of us were on Brian Kelly's fan list, but the thing that you were just talking about, you know, who they lost to Marshall and Stanford, two teams that you're supposed to beat. And it got very easy you know, to beat up on Brian Kelly. Well, you beat the teams that you were supposed to beat. Sure. <laughs> but let's be honest right now, right? If you beat the teams that you're supposed to beat, this season looks a heck of a lot different. Right. And in the meantime, OBK is coming off a pretty nice win last week against Florida, and he's yeah. got them sitting with five wins right now down at LSU. Look, here's, here's, here is what I would say if... And if I'm I- not saying bring back Brian. I'm just saying... No, no, no. You know, I get it. I here, it's easy to take that stuff for granted after it accumulates absolutely. over time, and you're still losing to you know big to the to the to the quality teams on the schedule. Listen, here's what I think would have happened if if Brian Kelly and nothing like if nothing changed, he's still mad. He's not making enough money. You know all of the different things. If he's the head coach at Notre Dame right now, they're five and one, and they got their doors blown off by Ohio State. I, I think that that game would have been lopsided. And we all would have chalked it up to Brian Kelly doesn't do well in big games, but then he goes on a stretch of winning the, you know, the next five, right? Yeah. Five and one. We're sitting here five and one. We are in no way worried about this game. You know, we're not worried about Notre Dame covering the spread. You know, we're not worried about any of that stuff. And it's just boring old Notre Dame, just winning the games they're supposed to win and (laughs) dropping the ball in the big games. Like, here we go again. And we'd still be complaining. We'd still be bitching and moaning about certain things when it comes to the offense or the defense or whatever. But the bottom line is they'd be five and one in a top five team, probably, to be honest with you. They, yeah. I mean, with the way things have kind of shaken out with the top 10, at the very least, they're a top 10 team, if not a top five team. right? Because now. the loss was close and at Ohio mm-hmm. State to open the season, I guarantee they'd be sitting there top five, top six no doubt. right now and, if they had won these other games. And Brent makes a really good point. If he's the head coach, you wouldn't have the number three recruiting class. You're probably right about that. We'd have a real good defensive. Well, they'd class. still have a pretty good recruiting yes. class, depending on it where would. Marcus Freeman might have ended. You know, like was Marcus Freeman really going to go somewhere? You know, he was no, becoming a hot commodity, but I think Marcus Freeman would probably still be here, right. and he would be spearheading. You know, at least the defensive side of the recruiting, anyway. Yes, I, I I agree that the defense would have still been elite when it comes to recruiting because that's where Marcus Freeman would be spending all of his time. I would still have questions. And about it is the a offense. fair point, though, too. From Brent. Excuse me. I would still have questions about the offense, but at the, if we're all being honest here, I still have questions about the offensive recruiting. There's still no quarterback. Yeah. You know, I mean, 
Yes, they got Jeremiah Love. I like what they did in the backfield. I like a lot of the well, linemen. They got CJ Carr, though, too. You know, and, and, on. No doubt. But, yeah, I mean. He's just farther down the road, certain Excuse me. Certain things would have been different. But on the field, they're 5-1 and one in a top-five team. I yeah. mean, and we'd still be complaining. So, welcome to Notre Dame. Yeah. And that is, you know, that's the big question. Uh, you know, our, I, I, for all the dissatisfaction, you know, are you willing to kind of take the lumps knowing that there are really good recruiting classes on the way and you expect right. the recruiting to continue to get better? There, you know, there are, you know, other sort of distressing things that, you know, we hear, you know, that it's just. I know. I don't know. I don't know. There's there's a lot to work through still, I think, for a yes. first-time head coach, a young first-time head coach. There and are I, a lot of things to work through. And we've said this before. I did not anticipate the growing pains that we are seeing. I anticipated right. some growing pains, no doubt. I mean, that you'd have to be naive to think that there wouldn't be, right? But I thought that there would be growing pains while still winning, right? Yes. Maybe the wins wouldn't look like what we predicted that they would look like or whatever. Or maybe you lose to a good team like BYU or even North Carolina as sure. opposed to the two teams they lost. Correct. To. There, In no world, in no scenario in the preseason when we were talking about what Notre Dame's win-loss record would be and people were saying, you know, 10-2, and 9-3, and three, when they were saying those things, it's like, okay, where are those three losses coming from? Nobody said Stanford and nobody said Marshall. <laughs> right. And if you think that you did, you're lying to yourself and to others. Okay. Right. Nobody predicted that that would be the case. It was always BYU, Clemson, Ohio State, USC. Like those are the ones, you know, that we kind of heard, right? Nobody predicted Marshall and Stanford. So right. we, there's no way anybody could have predicted this. No way. We're going to let you hear some comments from Marcus Freeman this week and a little bit on some of the things that he was talking about, you know, like cleaning some things up. I asked him about fast start, you know, and and um, there was also a question that he had about, uh, you know, just just basically simplifying things. We'll hear some of those things. And he was he was asked earlier this week about being a first time head coach, some of that. So we'll have some of that coming up here in a minute. Just finish some thoughts with the offense and Drew Pine. Far and away, obviously, his worst day, 13 for 27. Here's the thing, because last week, you know, we're all flying high, and we're like, oh, you keep riding Michael Mayer as long as you can ride me, you know, all this different stuff. And, of course, (laughs) we didn't know that Drew Pine was literally going to force the issue trying to ride (laughs) Michael Mayer because they were 3 of 12 on third down last week. And, you know, part of that is because they didn't run the ball as effectively as they had run the two previous games. But – Pine tried to throw to Mayer six times on third down. He completed just two of those six passes, and most of the time he was even either double teamed, he was bracketed. You know, I think there was a triple team once even, and in the meantime, you know, at the sake of other open receivers on the field. So my question to you, Vince, who's the real Drew Pine? Is it <laughs> is it last week's version or the one that we saw completing 72% of his passes in his first three career starts. So this is like with a with a real Drew Pine, please stand up kind of <laughs> That's a thing. Right. That's right. To be honest with you, and, I, and I've said this many, many times, and so this is not new information for anybody. I He over <clears throat> where I thought he would be, he outplayed my expectations in those games where he was completing 78% or whatever the number was, right? He, he overplayed wherever I thought he was going to be. 
Now, he underplayed where I thought he should be last week. No doubt. I think there's a happy medium in so- somewhere in there. I think he can v- very well be a 65% completion guy, you know, mid-60s, and win a lot of games that way, right? It just has to look – number one, he has to hit guys, and he has to hit guys not named Michael Mayer. And so if he can start to do those things, and then also, you know, you mentioned the simplifying of the offense and things like that. When he was super successful, the offense was super simple. It just yeah. was. And we talked about opening the playbook gradually, you know, as the season goes on. It felt like they went from, okay, you got a 10-page playbook to 100 in one week. It's like Tommy Reese just can't help himself. Yes, right? it's thank like you. He gets greedy, and it's like, yes. let's just jam all this stuff now. He's, right. he's playing fine. Let's, let's do more. Let's do more. And it didn't work. <laughs> it just didn't work. And they have to dial it back. I mean – Drew Pine is who Drew Pine is, and I said this before as well. You can't be mad at Drew Pine for being Drew Pine. I mean, you you have to know what his limitations are, and you have to know what his strengths are. And like I like I said, I I think that you, it, during practice, hey Michael, go grab a seat for a little while, grab some Gatorade. You know, we're gonna run the offense without you being there, so Drew isn't locked in on you. You know, right. I think that there's merit to that. I really do. And maybe that's a little bit drastic, but at the same time, you have to remove the temptation, right? It's like Lent when you give up chocolate or something. You got to remove that crap from the house. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to eat it. Okay. Tell me, I know what you're talking about. I know yes, what you're talking about. That's what I'm saying. So <laughs> you've got to remove the temptation. Now, on Saturdays, you have to play Michael Mayer, all right? But he has to get used to using other options and, and the... You know, whether the scheme is too complicated or whatever the case may be, there were open receivers that he wasn't hitting in lieu of going to Michael Mayer. That cannot happen. But you also need, and we've said this all along, you need a potent running game for Drew Pine to be successful. And when you just run it between the tackles, when that's the strength of the defense, you're not helping out your quarterback at all. You put yeah. way too much on the shoulders of Drew Pine last week to win the game with his arm. That's not who he is. No, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And like, do you remember Lynn Sanity 10 years back? Jeremy Lynn, the New York Knicks. <laughs> he's and the Knicks. You know, all that stuff. This guy, this guy comes off the end of the Knicks bench and he's just going nuts and he's he's like dropping dimes and he scored. There's a great documentary on HBO they just released that I watched okay. the other day. It's called 38 at the Garden when he dropped 38 on Kobe Bryant, you know, because like, you know, they're interviewing Kobe Bryant beforehand, and he's like, I don't know, even know who you're talking about. I don't know what he's done. <laughs> all this. So Jeremy Lin just goes out and keeps doing his thing, right? And then a couple days later, he goes to Toronto, hits this game-winning shot at the buzzer. And, like, the question was, okay, was this, you know, how could Jeremy Lin sustain that? Like Drew Pine, could he sustain the 72% in the way he was playing, or was right. there going to be a regression to the mean? So, like, I don't think that that's what last week was because I agree with the points of, of what you're saying. Like, even if Drew Pine is a 65% passer, you know, in, in that range, like someone was just saying here a little bit ago, Anthony was saying in, in the chat, like if, if he's a 65% passer, if he can lean on that running game, he'll be fine. He doesn't yes. have to do all these things, yes. but you know, the other part of this, in addition to the running game Notre Dame only used two back sets three times against Stanford, which again is totally baffling to me because the two back stuff has been so successful 
They gained 18 yards, six yards per play on those three plays when they had two backs on the field. For the game, they averaged 4.9 per play. So, I mean, you know, now obviously the more you do two backs, it's, you know, there's no guarantee, sure. you know, again, you know, like the more you do it, you know, kind of like we were talking about with Air Force, but still, like they've got, to me, they've got to find ways not just to run the football, but the things they are able to do and with that two back set and the way they're able to throw the ball to running backs as well, especially when they've got two backs on the field. Because again, when you're, when you're, you know, kind of up inconsistent with those wide receivers and you're so locked in on Michael Mayer, having the two backs on the field gives Drew Pine more layups that he can hit in another place, another easy place. He can look in that short passing game. And Drew Pine is a rhythm quarterback. Yes. You know, he he's a guy that needs to thrive on emotion and he needs to thrive on rhythm and he needs to, you know, that that's who he is. And anybody that's watched Drew Pine at practice or anybody that's watched him when he's successful, that's who he is. He needs to be in a rhythm, you know, and so that's where I think the scan offense and as some of our 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 viewers have mentioned, I think that that doesn't help Drew Pine any. No. I think that's actually a detriment to who Drew Pine is as a quarterback. That that it slows him down. It gets him out of rhythm. It gets him out of a flow. That's not who he is. He's an emotional quarterback who needs to be moving and doing and all of these different things. You can't have that scan offense and be that quarterback. That's just not how it works. And so you need to find a happy medium or you need to find a way that gets Drew Pine into a rhythm. And he needs those layups. He needs those layups in order to throw it down the field, in order to do some of those things that you need to do in play action and to play off of that running game and all of that. And and somebody mentioned how if we know the running game is so important and so does the defense and they prepare for it. Yeah, I get that. But you still have a better roster. And that's what football is. Sometimes it's, you know what? My guys are better than your guys. My guys are faster than your guys. I'm going to run outside. Go ahead and catch me. Right. Let's see what you can do. They should have been able to do that against. Yes, they absolutely should have been able to do that. That's a that's a scheme and a play calling issue. Right. Right. That's not an execution issue. And I know we're going to get into that in a little bit, but it's like. You have to be able sometimes when you're at the University of Notre Dame and you're playing Marshall or you're playing Stanford. Sometimes you just got to play the odds that your guys are better than theirs and you got to call plays to that regard. Right. You don't need to call plays to keep the game close. That's not how it works, man. Yeah. Like it just, it is baffling to me because at the high school level, obviously when we call plays, I'm looking at dudes, right? And I, the, the first thing I did when I was an offensive coordinator and I was breaking down a defense, I looked for the weakest dude out there and we ran at that dude or we threw at that dude or whatever the case may be. You exploit their weakness, you well, you, put your guy you, against their guy. You find the weakest and the best. Yes, you, you attack the weakest and you do your best to stay away from the 100%. best. It's just that simple. Yes. And if it's a defensive end, then you option him. Like if he's the best guy on the field, you option him. You make him wrong. That's how you do it. Well, and and it's that's not that complicated. That's what the Eagles did to Micah Parsons in the first yeah. half of the of the Cowboys game yes. the other night. They had him playing up on the edge and they basically just read him. And they didn't block him. And, you know, like if he if he rushed, they handed off. You know, if he tried right. to play back against the run, they threw the ball. And, you know, they just basically made him completely useless because of the way they were running their RPO in the first half. And then, you know, right. so in the second half, the adjustment the Cowboys made, it's like, okay, we're not going to play him on the edge. We're going to play him back and have him do some more coverage things and those kind of things. But it's 
it's just a you know a perfect example right there of how you can negate and other you know right. the other team's strength on the other side of the field based on what you're trying to do and i mean maybe sometimes it's easier said than done but also i think you can overthink it too much and right. it seems like there's some of that involved you know with, oh, the, with what they're doing there's a lot of overthinking there's a lot of i'm the smartest guy in the room from both coordinators i yeah. mean we're, i know we're just talking offense right now but it's it's both guys i mean both guys want to be the smartest guy out there and it is to the detriment of the team that's not how college football works yeah there's this question that that Brent had earlier, can some of Tommy's problems be attributed to the loss of Lance Taylor and John McNulty? And I mean, McNulty one is someone, you know, a little bit of a, a mentor, I guess that Reese had, sure. you know, because, you know, from their experience when they were out in LA together for what a year or two before Tommy came here. And, you know, so I, I don't know how much behind the scenes, you know, like part of the question is who's challenging Tommy Reese. You know sure. that you knew that Brian Kelly would challenge sure. Tommy Reese. Who is challenging Tommy right now? Because you've got all these other guys who right. you know just came in. It hasn't even been a year since they got here. So that you know, and then obviously you've got Marcus Freeman as a defensive-minded head coach. And he was asked this week about his involvement in the offense as a first-time head coach. And here's how he responded to that. And he did go into execution versus play calling at one point as well. My role as a head coach is, is to give my opinion, right? And, and, and there's times I might say, hey, run the ball. Hey, run the ball. There's not many times I say stop running the ball and throw the ball, but there's times I say run. We did. We tried to run the ball first half. We ran the ball pretty effectively the second half. You know, we're running the ball that second last series, and we fumbled. So it isn't like I need to speak up and tell you, Coach Reese, you're not doing a good job doing it. No, he's going to have some job. You know, and my job is to, to look and say, okay, Monday through Friday, what aren't we doing? Or what are we wasting our time on doing that isn't giving us a better chance to execute on Saturday? And, and again, I'm the same thing without going on defense. I'm there to every once in a while give my opinion, but I have the utmost confidence in our coordinators. They spend an enormous amount of game planning and studying, and they, they do a good job. We have to go back and look and say, what are we doing? And what are we Because it's not, it's, guys, it's not a, it's not a call. He should have called this. No, it's not. It, they have a call sheet and they call the, the, the plays or the defensive calls on them. We have to look and say, okay, what are we executing? What aren't we executing? You know, and that's to me the challenge is, that my challenge is to make sure that we're calling the things that we're executing, if, and if we're calling things we're not executing, we've got to look and figure out why. All right, Vince. So I don't know if you'd heard that before. I'll let you go ahead and respond first. Well, there are so many things to pick apart uh, in that particular soundbite. And I I rolled my eyes and I shook my head when I hear that, you know, Tommy Reese is doing an excellent job. That's really difficult for me to stomach. But I get it as the head coach. You don't want to necessarily throw your coordinators under the bus. I get that. But there's a way to do it to where you're not praising them either. And I think that there's a fine line to that, and maybe he's still learning the nuances of a press conference and all that, and that's fine. I would say the execution versus the preparation and all of that part that he was talking about, he's like, it's the play, you know, the play sheet is there, we're making the calls and all, we got to execute. I think that there's an argument to be made defensively that that is the case, because how many missed tackles did Notre Dame have against Stanford? And how, you know, that's been an issue all season. 
right? So I think that is an execution problem. I don't think guys are out of place. So I don't think it's a play call. And I don't think it's a game plan problem on defense. I think it is a bit of an execution problem when it comes to tackling and things of that nature. So on that side of the ball, I agree. Offensively, that's a different conversation I have versus execution and versus game plan and play calls and all of that. It's a combination of all of that. Yeah. Not just one or the other. And so, but, to, but to me, sometimes the personnel groupings and the play call, you know, like if you look at the Stanford game specifically last week, yeah, you can, you know, if, if you go back and you boil it down, you can say, well, execution. And obviously sure. there were a handful of passes that Drew Pine has to hit. That's all execution. Absolutely. But at the same time, there are, you know, like running Chris Tyree between the tackles. Now right. you can say that's execution, but you can also say it's execution because of the 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 play call that the that the coach put them in. Right. You know, like he set them up for failure. Correct. Basically. Absolutely. And we can go through the entire game and come up with all the ways that Notre Dame didn't execute. Yeah, I mean, we can. There's no doubt. And Drew Pine's probably the top of the list. Uh, I believe Lorenzo Styles had a drop or two. I mean, there there's. There's plenty of places, and there's going to be that in a blowout, too. A blowout win, you can dissect, and you can come up with ways that guys didn't execute, right? That's football. That's what you do as a coach. That's part of the game. But, again, and I'll go back to the offensive line that we talked about earlier, those guys executed just fine 95% of the time. The problem was it was five versus nine, and – when that's the case, you're not going to do well. And this is, I'm a broken record, I know, but it's its why the, the 12 and 13 personnel drives me so nuts, as, yes. especially, again, with that specific opponent. Because all you're doing, as I've said time and time again, when you do that, the way they're running things, they you know they bring in the extra tight end, and they've got basically this, this heavy formation. They've got eight or nine in the box. Like, look at the fourth and two. As an example, they they started off with 10 guys in the box on that right. formation with Jaden Thomas split out to the right. Then they motion him across the backfield. So now you've got all 11 in the box. And then when they come around, they've got Mayer and Raritan blocking. Raritan drives his guy toward the end zone. Yeah. Unfortunately, he's gone now. We're not going to see him anymore. Michael Mayer misses his block. Basically, you had Raritan trying to block four guys on that play yeah, because of, you know, the way the play is designed, who you've got running it and the whole thing, all they're doing is working the numbers. They're, they're manipulating the numbers against themselves most of the time. Right. When they do that, you know, they're, they're not trying you know, they're not going 12 and then sealing the edge and then trying to kick something off the outside. They're going 12 and they're trying to run between the tackles where they've got eight, nine, 10 guys standing there waiting right. to tackle the guy. Or you're trying to outrun with one of your slowest receivers, four guys on the edge. And that's just, yeah. it's not going to happen. I mean, and, and Mayer got blown up and that didn't help. I mean, that, that put a roadblock to the path that Jaden Thomas wanted to take. He wanted to yep. go outside with that and he couldn't because Mayer got blown back into the backfield. There were a lot of problems with that. The execution, yes, it was not executed properly. But and that's just one play. I'm just using that You're as right, the example. Absolutely. But you know, but again, like too many times when they're running 12 and 13 personnel, they're obviously not running jet sweeps, you know, and doing it that way, but they're still they're right. they're 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 running plays against the numbers right. in the box. And I actually have no problem with jet sweeps and end arounds and things like that when you're in the right. middle of the field because you do have a speed advantage over the Stanford defense. 
You do. If the right, if the right guy is running the ball. If the right guy's <laughs> running the ball, and you don't start out in 12 personnel. Yes. 13. That was 13. If you don't start right. out in 13 personnel. Like, you know, there are ways to do that. We wanted them to get outside, but that's the only time they ran an end around. The only yeah. time. What are, we, what are we doing? Vince has got some soccer later to, later today, too, Michael. Enjoy. Hopefully the weather is as good where you are as what yeah, it's going to no be doubt. here in South Bend today. It's supposed to be one of our last really good weekends. Oh, I'm going to enjoy it. So, yeah, I just, you know, I think that that it's, it's, it's a big issue and it's yeah. got to be resolved. Obviously you want to talk about the bright spot Tobias Merriweather. I mean, before I, we beat more stuff up, that was exciting. I'll give him that. Like that was the most exciting time of that entire game was I mean, shoot, even the overthrow was exciting. It's like, holy yeah. crap, they're throwing it to 15. I think everyone about came out of their seat. <laughs> you know, it's like, hold oh, it. They just, was that 15? They threw yeah. him the ball. I know. We're like, oh, what's just happening? Just a little bit overthrown, just yeah. a little bit more air, my pine. But the touchdown catch was beautiful. I let, oh. you know, like a pair, you know, you've got multiple double moves yeah. on a post pattern. He turns the safety in a 360. And by the time he's coming up out of that 360, Tobias is just running right past him. You know, so we saw how they've got to find a way to get him in. And he came out during the week and, and, and talked and Tommy Reese talked about him during the week. I guess the, you know, the question in Tommy Reese said, they're, you know, they're, they're getting him more of the playbook, you know, because now, you know, he had zero coverage basically. So there's no deep safety right. on that play. So that was an easy, easy call right there, but now you've given film. And so defenses know you can't go zero safety when 15 is on the field. So how can you get him involved and in, in doing more things to be, you know, an, an actual part of the offense now? Sure. Well, I mean, he is naturally an outside receiver. They had him in the slot. Uh, I, I don't know if it was on the first one, but definitely on the touchdown, he was in the slot <clears throat> and they took advantage of the seam and the zero safety. Just like you said, you know, he's going to be better on the outside anyway. And so there's some things you can do with motion where you can get him one-on-one -on -one coverage. I mean, Braden Lindsay's one-on-one all the time. They just don't take advantage of it. Right. I mean, there, there's ways to get him involved and to get him in one-on-one -on -one situations on the outside. Now you can, one of the things that a good offensive coordinator does is you move around your best players, right? And you you find opportunities for them to have the advantage. And so if you're going to – if you have now decided that Tobias Merriweather is one of your better receivers, duh, then you move him around, you put him in the slot, you put him outside, you put him to the boundary, you put him to the field, you put him wherever you think you need to put him in order to get him the best matchup possible, right? And you use other guys as decoys, and there's plenty of ways that you can do that, but he's got to be on the field in order for that to take place. Right. And, you know, again, to me, like 21 personnel, there's still a wide receiver on the field with 21 personnel. And some of the things they've been able to do with the running backs to man manipulate safeties and, you know, like just, just with simple play action and misdirection stuff, you know, like I get, I'm not saying that you need to run. 21 personnel, you know, 80% of the time, but I would like to see it probably at least closer to 30 or 40% of the time. Cause I just think that there's so many different things that you can do with it. Like when you sure. talk about setting other things up, you know, now you can still do that with 11 and, and that as well. I just, it, it just feels like there are missed opportunities based on things that we saw him doing with that earlier. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and people are talking about getting Deion Colsey in the game and all these different things. I'm not 100% sure that Deion Colsey is 100% healthy either. But we haven't seen him either. And, yeah. you know, again, I will say this, and I've said it before, I'm not worried about the depth at wide receiver. I'm worried about the execution at wide receiver. Execution I, and get your I, playmakers out there. You've got people that can make plays. Yeah. There's plenty of playmakers in that room. I don't, the depth doesn't even bother me right now. The guys that are on the field can make plays, but you have to use them and you have to get them the ball and you, you have to scheme for them to be open, you know, and all of these different things. If you do that, the depth doesn't matter. The depth doesn't matter at all to me. I, it really does. You can only have so many on the field at once anyway. And with the affinity for the tight ends, that's even less. So the depth doesn't bother me. But you've got to get these guys involved. You've yeah. got talent there. You've got talent. Concur. I concur. Um, big issue is six points in the first quarter this season. They go three and out to start last week's game. They punted their first two possessions. How can they get off to a faster start, Vince? Well, and again, I know it's written in your notes and so i don't want to steal your thunder but it's you exactly, can take it tempo yeah. are we in agreement just go yes, tempo. 100 percent, and that's what it, i would have said regardless of the fact that you wrote it right there their first their first touchdown drive was a was i think their first tempo drive of the game and this is something jesse pointed out with the spreadsheet that he had earlier in the week and i mean it was there's a lot of awesome stuff you know he had all the personnel packages and all that stuff so a lot of my you know research goes back to hey thanks son for doing my research for me this week but <laughs> They go tempo, six plays, 75 yards, boom. Andre Gestemay's 10-yard touchdown drive caps it off. Uh, it, it How's that not painfully obvious? That's I mean, big. that's what kick-started the offense last year at, at about this time. Right. You've Why got not? offensive analysts that are supposed to be keeping an eye on this stuff, right? And if maybe Tommy Reese doesn't see it, maybe he doesn't see it in real time or whatever, but it has to be painfully obvious. Let's put a little tempo on it. Let's get Drew Pine a little bit of a you know rhythm. And the offense is going to move, especially against an inferior defense. What? Again, what is the disconnect? Why do you have to be the smartest guy in the room? Let's minimize the call sheet and let's go. That's what you need to do, especially in the first quarter. You want to just do it? Get it out of the way for Milton? Caveman voice for Tommy Reese play calling last week. The, the coach Freeman, I don't know what to run here. Throw it deep. Throw it deep to number 15. Maybe we can score. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> All your fans were waiting for it. I think it's just well. one fan, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Rob Rob just chimed in. What's your most important improvement you're looking for today? Far and away, it's it's got to be the offense. They've got to find some offensive Have consistency. To. And the stuff that we're talking about, I, I'd like to see them come out in tempo. You know, see if they can get going. What's and and I'd also like to see them not have some kind of false start penalty on the first drive. That would be, game. you know, that, because little, you know, obviously the first play of the game last week by your most experienced offensive line, and that's what I don't get. It just seems like there's there's a focus issue, especially with the offensive line for some of it. Because again, like all of those false starts, I don't know if they false started like that on the road. All yeah. these false starts are in the home games. I know. They play so much worse at home than they do on the road. And I Crazy. don't, 
it can't be just as simple as there's more distractions at home because they go and they stay out of town and they do all these different things. And you would think being at home would be a good thing. And they're just not a good football team at home. I, I think I'm just going to stay home and start watching games on TV and I'll just pretend like it's an away <laughs> game. And maybe that'll help them out. I don't know, but it's just, well, you have to pay for your peacock subscription today. I got it, buddy. It's free with Xfinity. Nice. So I'm good. So some of the some of the cable providers give you Peacock for free, huh? Well, I, I have Xfinity Internet, and okay. that's part of the package is you get Peacock Premium for free. So I have never had the issue over the past couple of years that other people here's, have had. This is going to get me sidetracked, but it's here's, okay. It's here's what, what frustrates because like we have Peacock, but we have like the you know the basic. We, we're we're not paying for Peacock. There's nothing on Peacock that has caught my attention, and obviously <laughs> I go to the games, you know, so like I don't right. need it for this. But what annoys me is like I went into the Peacock app last week just to kind of check it out, see what's there and everything. Sure. Like if I want to watch an old Notre Dame game, you know, like one from earlier this season, you still have to pay for the premium subscription to watch a game that's already been played. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, like if I want to rewatch the game tomorrow or Monday or whatever, I've got to pay the five bucks to watch a game that's already been played. Yeah, well. That's what annoys me the most. It's it's their property. I mean, they put it behind a paywall. I mean, I know, that's but it's not, still that's a game that's already been paid. <laughs> well, but that's why they got Seinfeld. They've got all these different NBC products Reruns. behind Some more stuff that's already been played. <laughs> How's that any different than any other thing, though? I mean, we're watching see, Netflix. I and We're watching everything you know. else. Those are all old movies. Those are all. But you know, live sports is live sports, right? Most people aren't going to go back and watch a game after the fact. Most of the people, most I think, people, I agree, who go that. back and watch the game after the fact are media people like us who make up a very small percentage of the people watching. That's game. fair. That's fair. But what about ESPN Plus? Can't watch those reruns unless you have the subscription to ESPN Plus. Right. And I've never watched a rerun on ESPN Plus. Though. No, I mean, I've only there. watched stuff live. Right. Not me too. But I, I, I'm just I'm playing devil's advocate with you. But like I use Peacock Plus for very few things. Like that is where I watch. Um, oh, what's the what's the uh, the show the the recent one with uh, Kevin Costner? Yellowstone. Cowboy. Yellowstone. So Derek just said I watched Peacock. I got Peacock go. last year for the games, and I didn't realize Yellowstone was on. Well. There. That it goes there second. I think it's on Paramount first. That's what I thought because that's what I was going to say. I thought it was on Paramount, but so it, but eventually, a few months later, it ends up on Peacock, and so that's where I've watched them all. Uh, so obviously, not when they first come out, but you know, it is what it is. That's the that's the direction we're all going, and I guess I'm less bothered by it because I automatically have it anyway. So it doesn't, you know, it's all about how it affects me, Sean. Let's be honest. Trucker Joe makes a good point as well. If the game was broadcast on NBC, free broadcast, it should not be on premium on the app. You know, because that's like, you know, again, they're like, with the exception of this game, all the other Notre Dame home games have been simulcast, NBC and Peacock. Can you watch the reruns on NBC Sports? That I don't know, but I mean, I've I've got a DVR. I, you know, I record every game, so I don't have to worry about that. I've just got my DVR and I I do not have a DVR. Right. Uh, right. but well, and a lot of people don't. And that's why right. I'm saying it's like, I've watched all of the home Notre Dame games, the reruns. When I watch it for a pond for the review, I've watched it through Peacock, so, okay. which is really annoying, but well, it's, but it's nice that you've got, you know, and it's also like your forward and like, can you fast forward and stuff like regular on the Peacock? Yes. 
you still have to watch do you have to watch any ads or can you forward through the ads the there are no ads on peacock okay on, on the replay i guess it's premium so there wouldn't be right okay, there are no ads sense. and i will say it is much easier to find the home games for me than it is the away games because the only way i can watch away games on a replay is if it somebody bootlegged it onto youtube yeah so brent says yes nbc bay area reruns so i'm assuming some of the others do as well i don't know and you know locally one of the stations i know like airs the games the next day and all that CW, kind of stuff CW, but they also think, edit yeah. some of the stuff out you know they, right. they shorten it down and all that kind of stuff. due to time constraints yeah yeah we now move forward all right well let's finish some thoughts on the offense because marcus freeman this week said that tommy reese and the offense have done some things to try to simplify things. So here's what Marcus Freeman said about that, the simplification of the offense. I see him in practice, and, and Coach Reese is really um, doing a good job of changing the way we, we do a little bit of our team periods in practice, and he's almost calling it like a game, and that our players don't have a script to say, okay, here's the script, let's memorize it. He's doing a good job of saying, okay, they have to look to the sidelines, get the signal. They don't know exactly what the call is going to be. See, sometimes you script practice where as I'm going into the game, I know these are the three plays I got, you know, and, and what we're doing is challenge them a little bit to get the calls from the sideline, not know exactly what they're going to do and be able to react. And, and um, they're doing a good job of watching. I saw them the other day. They're, they're watching parts of practice as a group. You know, they're watching seven on seven periods to make sure there's one voice. Everybody's on the same page and you're being held accountable to your teammates. You know, and, and if you make a mental mistake, a mental mistake, well, you know what? You're going to have some older guys that aren't making mental mistakes want to know why. Why? Like you're held accountable not only to your coaches, but to your teammates. And so um, it's been good to see the enhancement, I think, as an offensive staff and, and in terms of not just saying, hey, continue to trust the process. We'll be better. We're going to be better. We're going to execute better. But let's find ways to enhance our process. Let's find ways to fix it. And I mean, it's a good sign, you know, that they're taking a look at some different things. One question I have is, you know, like if they're you know, rather than giving the, the team a script and you know what's play what play is coming and you're, you know, you're practicing signs, you know, relaying that stuff on the field. I would have thought that they would have been doing that earlier this season, like practicing that kind of stuff, you know, before it becomes an issue. Yeah, this soundbite felt to me like it should have been in August <laughs> as opposed to <laughs> right. October. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Uh, they should be able to look over to the sideline, get the play and move. I mean, that's what you should be able to do. And that's, the only thing that worried me is he wasn't real specific about what they were doing looking over at the sideline. Is that more scan offense or is that, you know, they're moving quickly and, and running kind of a tempo offense? That part worries me a little bit because I hate the scan, especially for this particular team and this particular quarterback. I hope they don't do that, but I'm sure that they will. And again, I'm glad that they're doing that, but all of the things he said – should have been happening already. Why yeah. does it take six games for the to be held accountable and to watch game or to watch practice film and to do all of these different things? All of that should have been happening. All of it. I agree. Uh, you know, Trucker Joe, do either of you think Reese doesn't want to simplify the offense because he's auditioning for the NFL. I, I think that there's part of that. I think that's part of that. I don't think that's the old, I don't think he's just sitting there 
like, man, I, I hope that uh, Coach McVay is watching this game because this is one heck of a game plan I've got going. Like, I don't think that's the forefront of his mind. Yeah. But I think that's the end. Like, I think that's part of it. I think that, but that's, I think, also just who he is. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, again, that's, that's stuff that we'll never know. I, I do think that it's at least a good sign that they're talking about simplifying things and they're working on things. You know, to because it obviously needs to be fixed, but it, it kind of just like what we were saying, how do you get to the point that you're at without addressing right. these things? Because, like you said, they seem like these these seem like training camp issues, yes. not six games into the season issues. Right. And you just had a buy a couple of weeks ago as well, where this kind of stuff could have been worked on. You yeah. know, all these no. different things. Yep, completely agree with all everything that you just said as well. That's yep. it's what it's all it's almost too late in the in the season to be doing to making drastic changes. Right. You shouldn't have to take this long. Right. And again, you know, the growing pains that they are going through, it would have been acceptable. You know, it fans wouldn't have liked it, but you got a first year head coach. If they had come into this and they had lost to Ohio State, sure, maybe lost to one of North Carolina or BYU, you still wouldn't have been happy about that. But then you lose to Clemson, you lose to USC, you lose three or four games like right. to those teams. Okay. Explainable. You're not, yeah, you're not going to be completely happy, but you're absolutely right. Explainable. But to lose the two games they have lost outside of Ohio State, Marshall and Stanford, two would have turned out to be really bad teams, a Stanford team that had lost 11 consecutive games to Power 5 opponents and a Marshall team that is 500 right now they have done nothing to prove that they right. deserve to beat Notre Dame so you've lost to two bad teams mm -hmm. those that to me is not growing pains there's there's more right. red flags than yes. growing pains there's there a lot of things they've really got to get figured out and it goes back to some of the stuff he's talking about and just like you know again first time head coach figuring things out there's a lot more to figure out right now than we thought that there was going to be. Absolutely. And again, I said at the beginning of the show, I expected some growing pains as a first-year head coach. Why, why would you not? You're naive to think if they don't. But I thought that they would be figuring it out by winning these games, though. Like, there, there would be things to nitpick. There would be things for us to talk yes. about. Absolutely. But they'd be doing it with a 5-1 and one record. I mean, that that's what I anticipated being the case, especially – after what I saw in week one, you know, what I saw against Ohio State, it's like, okay, you know what? This team's, they're going to figure it out. Yeah. You know, they, they competed with one of the best offenses in the country, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, just go back and listen to the post game show or any show we had after that. It's like, okay, this team's going to be okay as long as they just keep taking steps forward. And that wasn't the case. You know, that there's bigger issues than just first time head coach growing pains. Yeah. It, it's deeper than that. Anthony Solomon, the uh, the old standby, keep it simple, stupid kiss. I mean, <laughs> I'm a teacher. I know that yeah. phrase. And what's crazy is watching, you know, we haven't talked much about the defense, but look, the defense held Stanford to 16 points. You hold any team to 16 points, right? you should win. It's just, that's just the bottom line. Um, you know, maybe unless it's Ohio State, you know, that's a little, you know, the, but even if you hold Ohio State to 16 points, you've got to think that you've got a chance to win. And they, you know, yeah. they, were, they were holding Ohio State down. But what's crazy about watching the defense, 
there are issues. There, there are missed tackles, missed assignments, you know, different things going on. But from a points standpoint, yeah. which is the most important metric, but also a yardage standpoint, yeah, they're like top 20 and top, you know, 40 in both of those categories in yeah. the nation right now. So it has not looked great from start to finish. Right. But in two of the more important statistical categories they are for a defense, they're actually really good. That's what's that's what's weird is because just like watching them, I wouldn't I wouldn't think that. I don't well, know about you. And I agree with you completely. There is plenty to nitpick with the defense. Obviously, the offense is going to take the brunt of the criticism for obvious reasons. But my prediction for the Stanford game was like 31 to 17. I thought Stanford would score 17 points. They scored 16 and yeah. Notre Dame lost. That's the problem. I mean, if you look at their scoring drives that Stanford had, and what was what did we all say the strength of Stanford going in? It was the passing game. It was Tanner McKee. He's the best player they got, right? He's an NFL quarterback standing back there, picking guys apart. Touchdown drive, first drive of the game. Okay, you make some adjustments. You move forward. Then they had three field goals. A touchdown and three field goals should not get you beat at home. Right. Period. And right. I don't care what team you're playing. A touchdown and three field goals should not get you beat. And so, yes, are there things to nitpick with the defense? Absolutely. Tackling has been atrocious for the most part. But they gave up 16 points. They only let them into the end zone one time. You right. give up three field goals? That's good enough. That's good enough to win a lot of football games. Mm -hmm. And so Brent Smith says, do you believe Marcus Freeman should take over the defense? That's not your problem right now. Yeah. If we're going to list the problems that, you know, that Notre Dame has, the defense is far down the list, far down the list to me. No, I could not agree more. I, yeah, I, I don't think they need to, I don't think Marcus Freeman needs to take over the defense. Again, there are, there are things that need to be cleaned up, but they have held every team well below its scoring average this yep. season. Even, you know, like Stanford was averaging like 29 points a game. Now they were giving up 32. Exactly. And again, that's the issue. A defense that was giving up 32 points per game and two, 207 rushing yards per game held Notre Dame to 14 points and 150 rushing yards. That's the biggest issue in, in last Absolutely. Absolutely. There's about 10 different offensive issues that we can talk about before I'm getting to the defense. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. The defense isn't the problem. They're not playing perfect. They're not a playing at an elite level. Like I was hoping that they would, they're not doing that. And I, I'm not giving them a pass, but that's not why Notre Dame's losing games. Right. Right. It's not. To me, the offense is like the first four points that I would look at. You know, absolutely. Yeah, and I was being hyperbolic by saying ten, but the the, the you, your point is well taken. I mean, it's there's so many issues offensively that again, if the defense was playing exactly like this, they should still be five and one. Yeah. The headlines remind us daily: the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine. Stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-Month Emergency Food Kits. 
You're not ready if it's not ready hour foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com All right, a few notes before we get to UNLV here. Of course, Eli Raritan's going to be out for the rest of the season that's, with a knee injury. Just tough. brutal. That's he was starting to come along. He was their best blocking tight end, you know, all season. And to not have him is massive. I mean, it's massive. And I realized that Mitchell Evans has kind of took over as that tight end number two, you know, and all that, which I didn't necessarily agree with. But he would have been the second tight end coming out of camp if he didn't if he wasn't injured. Well, and like the fact mm-hmm. that, you know, again, there were so many, <laughs> so many plays he was in right. along with Michael Mayer last week. Not just that he was the number two tight end yeah, yeah that was yeah it's, it's a major problem and again he you know Eli although was, he did get a touch you know he did have a touchdown catch if not for the bad formation well it didn't go it didn't go to him it went to Michael Mayer oh that's right he cleared him out I mean he did he did his job though he he cleared out the seam and allowed Michael Mayer to come underneath I mean right he 100% did his job and I felt bad for him they called the penalty on him when it was Chris Tyree's fault but you know that's just kind of how it goes yeah so no more Eli Raritan, second tight end to be lost for the season, along with Kevin Bauman. So uh, that that tight end room, you know, loses a couple of guys. You still have some guys. You've got Holden St- uh, Stage. You've got Kane Barong. You've got Mitchell Evans, and of course you've got Michael Mayer as well. Although long term, how the season goes just means Justin Fisher is one step closer to getting on the field, Sean. That <laughs> That's right. That's right. Our Mishawaka guy. <laughs> Uh, Jason Adamalola and Jaden Mickey both questionable for today. Adamalola has a rib contusion that he suffered in the game last week. Mickey missed the game with a strained abdominal muscle. You know, this should be a game that you, you know, like if there are any questions, you should be able to get by. But at the same time, it's like, man, again, like the way things have gone, I don't think you can take anything for granted, can you? And, and that's the thing. I mean, Jason Adam Lola played really well in the first half. I mean, he was making plays. He was pushing the <clears throat> the interior of that offensive line back. I mean, he was playing really, really well. And it was obvious when he was not in the game. So of the two, I would want Jason back. Mickey is more about just getting reps and getting better for the future. I mean, yes, he's one of your better corners. There's no doubt about that. But he's and he's made some freshman mistakes, and you know, but those are also to be expected, and all of that. If Tariq Bracy is back and he's 100 percent healthy, then you know, Mickey taking the week off is not a huge deal to me. Yeah. Brent said he was cleared from the mm-hmm. ACL. We're talking about Raritan, which he sustained December 21st, six month recovery time. It is crazy how fast he came back. For one, but I mean, he was out there playing and yeah, hadn't had any issues. Right, but, I feel bad for that kid. I mean, he was unfortunate. Like, like I said, best blocking tight end Notre Dame had on the roster so far. Yep. So let's look at UNLV today. The UNLV Rebels, not running Rebels, as I found out this week. Only the basketball team is known as the Running <laughs> Rebels. Apparently, who knew? I just don't get mascots sometimes. I know. I just say that. I know. I will just say that. I know. They are led by third-year head coach Marcus Arroyo. So we've got a battle of two Marcuses as head coach today. They uh, were a combined 2-16 in his first two years. They started 3-1 and one this year. 
with a loss to Cal the week before the Irish played the Golden Bears. And they've lost their last two games, though, by a combined 82 to 14 score to San Jose State and Air Force. Their offense is averaging 29 points a game, 136 rushing yards a game, four yards per carry, 221 passing yards per game. They've also allowed 20 sacks, which is big because Doug Brumfield, their quarterback, is a mobile quarterback. He's a dual threat guy who has five rushing touchdowns and 137 yards. He's also passed for over 1,200 yards and eight touchdowns, but he was knocked out of the game with a concussion a week ago. May not go today. He's left-handed. If they if he can't play, they'll turn to last year's Mountain West Conference Freshman of the Year, Cameron Friel, uh, who's more of a pocket passer, and he's also right-handed. So just from the right hand left hand thing vince like how much of a difference is there really it's you know from a defensive standpoint sure. you know as as notre dame looking at you know left hand versus right hand quarterback well it's not going to change how many times they get sacked uh because i think that number is going to be fairly high <laughs> especially if he's less mobile than <laughs> right. left-handed quarterback. right so i i do feel like no matter who the quarterback is there's going to be a fairly high sack total okay now the difference is for the linebackers and the DBs that are, you know, dropping into coverage and all of those different things. It's it's more of a perception issue than anything else as far as like a scheme issue. It's more of a perception issue. The ball just looks different coming out. Um, it Honestly, it'll affect the wide receivers, I think, more than it's going to affect the defense because the ball just spins differently. It comes out differently. It's yeah. just a heck of a lot different. And when you're a receiver – going back and forth between a right-hander and a left-hander, that can mess with your head. Defensively, it's not like Notre Dame's ball hawking right now as far as bringing down interceptions. So I don't think it's going to affect them very much. I think it's going to affect the UNLV receivers more than anything else. Yeah, I concur. Um, Defensively, they have 17 sacks this season, 11 interceptions, which is tied for third nationally. They have a lot. What something I found interesting is I think they have they're, they're I think it's three fumbles as well or two fumble three fumbles I believe so fourteen total turnovers six of them came against Utah State so you know mm-hmm. so they got you know like Al Golden has talked about well they come in bunches well for Notre Dame they haven't yet but for, yeah exactly for UNLV they came almost half of their turnovers caused this season came in that one yeah. game otherwise they're around two per game something like that. But 11 interceptions is still 11 interceptions. Absolutely. And that is the number, you know, if anything scares me about UNLV, it's that number. If I'm being honest, I mean, because you know, what Drew Pine are we going to see? I think that that remains to be seen at this point. And his accuracy was a bit of an issue in the last game. And it's been an issue up until, you know, he had that two and a half game stretch where he was really good. I worry about interceptions. I mean, if I'm being honest, I worry about interceptions. I worry about him trying to squeeze it into Michael Mayer. A ball gets tipped in the air. You know, if I'm UNLV, I'm doubling, tripling Michael Mayer, and I'm saying beat me somehow, some way else, right? Well, that leads to picks, man, and that worries me. Here's, you know, and again, I haven't played quarterback, and I haven't been an offensive coordinator calling plays, but, like, Michael Mayer is obviously a really good option. If you're Drew Pine and and Tommy Reese trying to coach Drew Pine, mm-hmm. can it be as simple as okay, Michael Mayer's might be your first read, you know? So you look at at sure. Michael Mayer. If if you you know if initially you see him covered, look to read number two, see what's going on there. 
if he's covered, maybe you go, you know, look back, you know, look back to Michael Mayer or who, you know, like, right. can it be that simple? I guess. Yes. It absolutely can be that simple, especially on third downs. I mean, Michael Mayer is going to be your number one target on third downs. I get that. He is a third down conversion machine, but it can't be two for six. If he's not, if it's not there, you've got to go someplace else. Two for and six, if, throwing into consistent double coverage because exactly. you know, it leads and to it. I, it. Without going back and looking at the tape, I bet those two he was double covered as well, and it just so happened that he was able to catch the ball and convert right. third down, right? Right. So you have to have, and if they're simplifying the offense, fine, go to a two-reader, two-read offense, or go to, you know, another thing that you can do, Sean, is you can just, just work half the field, right? And you don't even have to look back to the other half. You just look half the field, boom, 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 high to low or low to high. It's easy. You're not scanning. You're not going back and forth. You're playing one guy, boom, 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 easy. Like there's, there's definitely ways to simplify the reads and that's what they have to do. And Michael Mayer can absolutely be your first read. That's fine. But if it's not there, you've got to come off of him and go someplace else. Right. Because, you know, like I think the reason I was using my head looking mm -hmm. to the left and then looking to the right is the play I had in my mind was one of the third down plays last week where Michael Mayer, boom, on the left, he's double covered. But boom, if he had looked to the right, there's Braden Lindsay sitting there across the sticks wide open for an easy first right. down if, if Pine just hits him. Exactly. So. Exactly. So we'll do our prediction in a little bit, and we've got rapid fire coming up in a little bit. What would be a suitable outcome for you today? <laughs> Winning. I mean, <laughs> does that sound terrible? By any means necessary. I mean, yeah. is that it? <laughs> I mean, look, there's going to, again, I if they win by less than a touchdown, there's going to be plenty of complaining and moaning and gnashing of teeth in the postgame show. I get that. But... At this point, they need a win. I, You can't lose to Stanford. You can't lose to Marshall. You sure as hell can't lose to UNLV. You have to win the game. Now, an acceptable outcome outside of being snarky and just saying they need to win, I don't what, – what, what's the spread? It's like 28 or something crazy. 26 like and a half as yeah. of this morning. It got I'm up not, to 27 and a half somehow yesterday. I'm not taking Notre Dame minus 27 and a half. I have no. zero faith that they're going to be able to do that. But if they can win by two scores, two legitimate scores, maybe even three, and you can get some other guys in the game, that's what I want. And that I, I can live with that. Now, if they exceed my expectations, they cover the spread, the, the seconds are playing in the fourth quarter, all these things that I thought we'd be saying in August for what we'd be saying on October 22nd, that would be fantastic. But then it would lead me to believe like, okay, Still, who is this team? It's like they're they're so Jekyll and Hyde. Who is this team? I don't know. I would still have all of those questions. So I would say a legitimate outcome for me, two to three score win, and we're not sweating at the end of the game. Yeah, exactly. I, it, to me, it's a, a much cleaner looking win, you know, an offense that looks like it knows what it's doing and has everyone, you know, I think it was Brandon. Yeah, he had the hashtag ban the scan that I think Ryan Roberts started. That's hilarious. This week. And, uh, you know, I'm totally down with that. Ban the scan. Go more tempo. But, I, you know, I also expect Notre Dame's defense. This is a UNLV team that could be playing with its number two quarterback. Yeah, and yeah. even though the number two quarterback was the Mountain West Conference freshman of the year last year, he, he threw six touchdowns and like 10 interceptions last season. So, yeah. like, that's the Mountain West freshman of the year that's that's 
pretty amazing. I, I expect Notre Dame to hold UNLV to somewhere roughly around half their points, just like they did to Stanford sure. last week. And yeah, they should, Notre Dame should win this game by a couple scores and just, you know, not look, not look like a, a an unprepared team, which right. at, at times they look, you know, basically in all their home games they've looked like so far this season. They have looked very unprepared and that's pretty much the main issue. Uh, it, right. It's looking unprepared. It's looking like they used the same game plan three games in a row and that's what the head coach said they did and that's mind boggling to me. Uh, it's just, they need to look like a put together team. They need to look like the better team. They need to look like the team that is paying UNLV a boatload of money to come out here and get their butts whooped. That's why they do that. And it needs to look like that. And if it doesn't, we're still going to have a massive amount of questions.